it. Get ready. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Everybody good? Ooh, yeah. Well, first I wanted to say this, that the Lord does have a sense of humor. He really does. I want to read it to you somewhere here. It says in Psalm 37, verse 12 and 13, it says, The wicked plot against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him. Amen? The Lord laughs. And see, the Lord really wants to release... Well, I mean, you know, there's this phenomenon called holy laughter, which is a great thing, but this is some version of that. But what I'm saying is, is I feel the Lord... You see people with needs, and you've got this thing that laughs, and you're not laughing at them, but the Lord's laughing at what He's fixing to do to what the enemy's done in people's lives. And so the Lord laughs at stuff. So we need to get God's sense of humor. You know, God has a sense of humor. And He, he really does, and He loves to laugh at things. That's why there's a such thing as laughter in the natural realm, is because it came from heaven. So the Lord is really not this always a solemn God. He's a God who laughs. And He laughs over people. And He laughs about situations that we think are impossible because He's fixing to do something about them. Amen? Yeah. So I'm, I'm big into the, to the Lord laughing. So when somebody prays for it, they start laughing. It's the Lord laughing. It's the Lord laughing about what He's about to do in their, in their situation. Amen? So... There's good news, man. That's, that's good news. Everybody good? Yeah. It's Revelation 30, 22. There's no such thing as that, Revelation 30. So what we're going to talk about this morning a little bit is the river of life. Amen? This is what the Lord wants to release into the earth, the river of life. It said, He showed me a pure river of water of life. And that's what the river of life is. It's a pure river of water of life. So when we talk about the river, you hear these, this term, the river, well, that's, there it is in the Bible. That's where it starts. And it says this, this river is clear as crystal. And what you're going to find out, though, uh, the river's clear as crystal, but we're not. So sometimes we kind of make, make a mess in the river. But that's okay. That's okay, because that's a good thing to do. Uh, because you really can't utterly pollute the river of God. The river of God will purify you. And it says it proceeds from the throne of God. Now that's the thing I want you to hear if you don't hear anything else this morning. If you get one thing, is when the Lord releases the river, it's something coming out, of his, out from the throne. And if we resist that, then we're resisting God's rule and God's authority in our life. That is how the Lord brings His rule and authority into the earth, is by releasing the river. Now, God doesn't do things the way we do them. He has an odd way of doing them. He has a peculiar way of doing things. And the way He likes to release His kingdom into the earth is, is this thing called the river of God. And the Lord really wants us to open our hearts up and receive the river because when we receive the river, we're receiving something that comes from the very throne of God, the heart of God. And, and then it says it's of, it proceeds from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So... If you'll remember, in the Bible it tells us that when Jesus was on the cross dead, that a Roman soldier took, stuck a spear in Jesus' side. And it says that, that water and blood spewed out of his side. And that was the river of God 
getting released into the earth. That's why it says it's the rivers of the Lamb. That's the day that the river came into the earth. And for a brief moment, the Lord allowed that river to be visible to the, to the natural eye. But now that river is an invisible river in the sense of it's a spiritual river. That's what was happening when Jesus was, the literal water that was flowing out of him was creating the, the spiritual river that God wants to release in the earth today. And that's really what the Lord's doing right now. He's releasing his river. And it's, it has to do with God's kingdom, it has to do with his authority, and it has to do with, with you know, the death of Christ, the blood of Christ, salvation uh, for people. And then it goes on. Is everybody so? So I guess here's my thing: is I have the ultimate argument against skeptics. I have the ultimate argument against people who don't want to receive this. And there it is. It's right there in the Bible. It's coming from God. That's the ultimate argument. When you resist that, you're resisting God. You're resisting God's rightful authority in your life. And that's not a good thing to do. Anyways. It says in the middle of its street, now, we're talking street all of a sudden. You think about it, dang on, street, river, and on either side of the river. So, I don't know how this tree grows in a street. I don't know if there's a break in the street, but you see, things in the spiritual realm are not like they are in the natural realm. Because got, we've got a river, and as some person said, you know, that's because walking on water is easy in heaven. You know, there's a street to walk on, you know. Uh, so there's this, uh, was this tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And so that's what the Lord wants to release. Is he wants to release healing of the nations and the earth. And he wants to heal our nation. He wants to heal the United States. The United States needs healing. We're, we're in, in desperate straits in the United States. Our nation needs to be healed. God wants to heal us. And that's how He's going to do it, though. He's not going to heal us any other way. There's no other way for us. This is our answer. This is the answer. This is the answer for mine and your life. If your life is wounded, if your life is broken, if your life is hurt, there's no other answer for you this morning. This is the Bible's answer for you. And, and really, you have, no, you have no other recourse. You can pursue other recourse, but in the end, you're going to always come back to this because this is what God has. This is God's uh, solution. So, and the river's for everybody. It's for the nations, for every person on the earth. Uh, I wanted to read this thing to you. I saw this article, and the article was titled this, America's Great Awakenings Forecast Our Future. America's Great Awakenings Forecast Our Future. Uh, it says this, Strange clouds are on the church's horizon. Strange clouds are on our horizon. On one side of these clouds have the silver lining of revival. And that really is the truth. That's what the Lord has for the church, is revival. On the other side, the blackness of disaster. So what we're facing in the future is we're facing revival and we're, we're facing disaster. And it really depends on what we do about the question of revival, how we're going to deal with the disaster of this upon us. There's really nothing we can really do uh, to really stop the things that are you know, meant to take place, but there's something we can do about how it affects us. And God really wants to, to release revival into the church so the church can be prepared for the, for the disasters that are going to be released. Now, I think everybody has heard me say this. If you haven't, I'll say it one more time. 
It is a historical fact that without the first Great Awakening that happened in the 1730s, late 1730s, 1740s, they would not be a country called the United States of America. This country would not exist apart from this Great Awakening. Now, that's that's a historical fact. In other words, there was a revival in the church, and because of that revival, there was a revolutionary war, and there's 50 United States of Americas of America that exist today. And that's what God did to establish this nation. He, this nation is not just established on, on, on warfare. It's not just established on great leaders, you know, politicians. And stuff. It was established on the move of God because that's what provoked all that. And so here we are today in the United States in need of another awakening. Our nation is, you know, teeter-tottering right now. We're like we're on a tightrope and we're getting blown around here. And the Lord wants to bring a great revival into the nation to save our nation again. Because our nation has a great purpose that has not been fulfilled yet. We have a purpose as a nation. A purpose to the, to, for the rest of the world. And it's not finished. God's not through with us. And until God's through with us as a nation, then we must have revival so he can finish what he's called us to do. And I think, you know, he will use us to the, to the very end if, if we'll allow it. Well, I was looking on the University of North Carolina, uh, unc.edu website. <laughs> and believe it or not, I found some stuff on the unc.edu about the Great Awakening because that school was actually birthed out of this revival. University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, was birthed out of revival. Believe it or not, it was established. You can see there's some, a lot of profound things that the Lord did through this revival. And, you know, one of the things uh, that they did in this article, they listed like 25 results of this Great Awakening. Okay, there were like 25 things they had in this article that impacted our nation, that caused our nation to be what it is today. So uh, I wanted to give you, share two of them with you today. Two things that God's doing, I believe God is wanting to do right now. The first one, I will read it, what it said. It says, The awakening responded to the needs of the, of the people for reassurance and direction to give them release from anxiety. To give them release from anxiety. In other words, the people of God got touched by God and God took burdens out of their heart, took burdens off of them. That was one of the big things, that people were anxious, people were fretful, people were concerned, people, there was a negative climate over the people of God. And this great awakening broke all that. Psalm 55, verse 22, gives us that picture. Psalm 55, verse 22. And I know that psalm's up there somewhere. There you go. It says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He shall sustain you. He shall sustain you. He shall sustain you. He shall sustain you. See, that's really what the Lord wants to do. He wants to bring us into a place where He's sustaining us. Where we really know that God is sustaining me. God is with me. God is carrying me. God is holding me up. God's doing whatever else sustain means. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. And that's really what the Bible really clearly states right there. 
Well, those things happen because of revival. Those things happen because you have allowed the river of God to be released into your life. You have stepped into this river of God because that's life. That's where God can really begin to sustain you. You see, this is what people don't really understand. It's not, a, it's not what you think. If you've never experienced this river, it is not what you think it is. It's about things like this. Does anybody have any burdens this morning? Anybody in this room? Raise your hand if you've got any burdens. See, the Lord wants to break those burdens off in you. He wants to release you from those burdens. That's part of what He does. That's part of what He's very interested in doing for the people of God. He wants to sustain them. He wants to take their burdens. He wants to take the anxiety out of their life. That doesn't mean your circumstances are going to change. That doesn't mean situations are going to change. It means you change. It means you change. It means it doesn't burden you. It doesn't weigh you down. It doesn't, see, because we can't, the Lord hasn't promised us to change the circumstance. But He has promised to sustain us through things. He's promised us to carry us through things and promised to lead and guide us and give us direction. And that's what the church really needs right now. That's what you and I need. And the Lord has that available to us right now. And I had experience with that recently. I had these things that were really bothering me that I was really burdened about. And the Lord woke me up at 4 o'clock in the morning. You know, that's, you said 4 too. See, the Lord loves 4 o'clock in the morning for some reason. I don't know why He does. I wish He didn't. I wish He'd leave me alone at 4 o'clock. Don't bother me at 4 o'clock in the morning, Lord. I'm sleeping. But he woke me up and I knew immediately the Lord was there because he said, pray for your wife. And when he said, pray for my wife, I, I can always pray for Becky. I love Becky. But see, there was a supernatural compassion that rose up, with, rose up inside of me. And I felt the Lord's heart towards her because she was fixing to have to go deal with her mom and bad situations. And the Lord was, was giving me a, a compassion to pray for her that she would be sustained through that. And, one, and after I prayed for her, he began to speak to me about those burdens. And he asked me to do this. He said, I can take those burdens. If you will give me the burdens, and this is how, and he told me how to give them to him, is you have to lay your opinion down about what you think about these situations. You have to say, I give you my opinion, Lord. I have an opinion. I have a belief, but I'm going to put that down and give it to you. And I, I was able to do that, and the Lord took all the anxiety out of my heart, just completely unraveled my heart. In a moment, I was completely fine. I was great. I was wonderfully blessed. Well, guess what? Those situations are still facing me. You know, They are still there. They still had to be dealt with, but I'm not anxious about them. I'm not burdened about them. I'm not sitting around wringing my hands about them. In fact, I've got a great answer for all of them. What's the answer? What is that song? Uh... Hey, come up here, Brian Kelson. Come here, I want you to sing a song for me right quick. I know you know this song. You can hold your baby. This is a great song. This is what the Lord told me. This is what you need to do about those situations. Now that I've taken the burden from you. Brian, you remember that song, Those Who Wait Upon the Lord Will Be As Mount Zion? No, I don't. Yes, you do. Get up here, Brian. You know that. Sing it to us. Yes, you do. Of course you know that. Everybody knows that. Those who wait upon the shall be as Mount Zion. Hundred portraits. Yeah, hundred portraits. You got that now, Brian? Come on, y'all sing that song. I'm telling you what the Lord's saying He wants you to do. In the Lord. 
Yeah. So you just sung God's answer to yourself. So what you need to do is take the word those out and put your name in there. The Lord just said, if you just, you just trust me, wait on me, I'll give you the answers. I'll tell you what to do. I'll tell you what to do. Don't, don't try to make it. Don't make up your own answers because possibly your answer is wrong. <laughs> Very possibly. So Brian did know that song. <laughs> he, was, he won't tell us the truth. I knew he knew that song. So we need to trust the Lord with our situations. We need to wait on the Lord. Let Him do Okay, Lord, I forgive. I, I, I release my opinion. Now, I know you have an opinion out there somewhere, Lord. And when the time comes, I'll receive that. And I'll do what you tell me to then. You'd be shocked at what God's, how God starts speaking to you. So that's one of the things the Lord wants to do. Isn't that a wonderful thing? All right, the next thing he it said, it said the great awakening did, it served to revive a sense of spiritual mission. It served to revive a sense of spiritual mission. Everyone believed there was some greater purpose behind the revival. God's kingdom must be near. God's kingdom must be near. And so that's what it really did for the people of God. They suddenly went from just being good church people to good kingdom people. They suddenly saw that their life had a purpose, their life had a mission, their church had a purpose, their church had a mission. That's what happened to them. And they really got on fire for the kingdom of God and what God wanted to do in the earth. And what really one of the things the Lord wants to do is, is He wants to give us a new vision for church. Because here's the truth. If we... See, he doesn't want us just to have a church vision. That, that's really sort of a dim vision, really, a church vision. But if we really are getting touched by God, if we really have entered into the river of God, the kingdom of God that flows from his throne, you really will get a vision for the body of Christ in the earth. God has a great vision for the church. He has great purposes for the church. He really does. And God wants to release this revival into the church because the church has a big purpose. And God wants to release that purpose into the earth through the body of Christ, through church. Not just going to church, not any of that, but God has ordained it. God has given it to us. And one of the things that the Lord has really done for me, He's given me a whole fresh, profound vision for church. And the whole fresh, profound vision for it is that God has a purpose for us, a great purpose. And what we're doing is important. It's real important what we're doing. It is because God's interested in what we're doing because it's part, it's part of His kingdom work in the earth. And He wants to reveal that to your hearts and reveal that to your mind. Not to make church good, not to build up church, but because it's God's heart. And He begins to say, so if you get touched by the Lord, you are going to get a church vision. You are going to certainly start believing what we're doing is important. God's placed us here for a purpose. God's brought us through a bunch of stuff for a reason. He's kept us for a reason when we shouldn't have been kept. And you'll start seeing that. You'll start feeling that. But it won't be we're kept for ourselves. You're kept for something bigger. And it's His kingdom. And that's really two of the great purposes, two of the great results of the great awake. And it's like 15 more or a bunch more. But, so, but what I wanted to do is share some Jonathan Edwards wisdom for church this is Jonathan Edwards wisdom for church when revival comes because we're believing God for revival 
We're asking God for revival. We're calling out, Lord, bring a revival. That's what we want. We want a revival, Lord. We're not satisfied. We want the river to come here. We don't want it. We want it to come here and roar through here. We want it not just to be a little spot here, a little spot there. We want it to take over the whole place and begin to pour out of the place in, a, in significant measures. And, and we believe that God's going to do that. Uh, we believe He wants but He's got to do it with many churches all over the nation. And we believe He will. And so, so here's some great wisdom for you, okay? It's, this is, now, this comes from Jonathan Edwards, who, if you don't know who Jonathan Edwards is, he is considered by everybody to be America's greatest theologian. He was the pastor of the church in the 1730s where the Lord, where the Great Awakening started. He preached the message that started it, called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> Sinners in the hand of an angry God. You, you know, people were seeing hell and grabbing hold of their chairs or their pews thinking they were going to fall into hell. Hell was open to them. Sinners in the hand of an angry God. We're talking about a bunch of old Puritans that were real quiet. They were so bad in those churches they had to hit them to keep them away. They had people go around slapping people upside the head. I'm serious. That's what they did. Slap you upside your head because the preaching was long, boring, and crummy. <laughs> that day it wasn't long, boring, and crummy. Hang on, Lord, please. I don't want to go to hell. These are cursed people. They were seeing hell. That started the revival. Ooh, man, that started a revival in your life. If you saw hell in your life, you might get a revival. <laughs> oh, but still, Lord, I don't want nobody to go to hell. So here's what he... and see, So Jonathan Edwards developed this whole theology of revival that I've told you this, by the way, has been robbed from us. <laughs> People who write theological books have left, conveniently left those chapters out because they don't believe in revival for some reason. Okay, but this is one of the things that Jonathan Edwards talked about, the move of the Holy Spirit and the mess it creates in the church. The move of the Holy Spirit and the mess it creates in the church. And this is, these are his words. Let us all, hint, let us all be hence warned. By no means to oppose or do anything in the least to clog or hinder the work, but on the contrary, do our utmost to promote it. Now, that's what he was saying about the move of the Holy Spirit. Don't hinder it, don't clog it, promote it. And he talks about a spirit of reserve. Oh, somebody's got a spirit of reserve on them this morning. That's not how God moves in my life. God doesn't do that with me. I'm happy. God's going to touch me right here. That's the spirit of reserve. Some of you have that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Uh, don't lie to yourself. Don't prophesy negative things to yourself. That ain't how God does. Get, let God do what God wants to do. However God wants it. It doesn't matter how He does it or what He does. Just let Him do it. And stop saying that stuff. Also, there's another thing called the spirit of criticism where you criticize what God's doing because it's messy because God's messy I hate to say from our perspective uh, this is what he said let me quote this to those waiting to see the results of the revival somebody over there you need to get this one I'm serious somebody over there you need to hear this Edward says if they wait to see a work of God without difficulties and stumbling blocks it will be like the fools, oh, we shouldn't call Christians fools, I'm telling you what he said, the fools waiting at the riverside to have all the water run by it. 
which doesn't happen. It just keeps on going. If you notice that, you can go visit a river in 10 years, go back, back, and it's still running. A work of God without stumbling blocks is never to be expected. A work of God without stumbling blocks is never to be expected. There never yet was any great manifestation that God made of Himself to the world without many difficulties attending it. We're asking God for revival. We're asking God for many difficulties. I'm serious. We're asking for difficulties. We're asking Him for a mess. He will wreck things and be happy about it. Be glad. Laugh about it. I'm serious. You thought that was good, what you was doing? You know, I didn't think it was good. <laughs> Look at the results. <laughs> so Edwards did not condone excess or difficulties or stumbling. He didn't condone them. Uh, as much as humanly possible, with the help of divine grace, we should work to eliminate any things that, that might hinder or bring reproach upon the work of Christ. His point simply is that when the Spirit genuinely moves in extraordinary prayer, there will always be a, a mess, and that we cannot afford to sit idly by waiting for revival that is free of messes. We just can't do it. Now, this is, wis- yeah, this is the wisdom for the church. You can't sit idly by. This ain't, we've got to hear this this morning. We want a revival. We want our nation turned. We want God to protect the United States of America. We want our senators to repent. We want abortion to stop. We cannot afford to sit idly by. We cannot do it. We've, we've got to allow, we've got to take God with God's message. Uh, and this is what he said. And I'm going to have to reword this one here a little bit because this one's like trying to pray and you know, read in tongues. It's so bad the way they said it back then. Uh, he said, I would propose that it be considered, uh, instead of people using the Scriptures as their rule to judge this work, that they, sh- they have made their own experience the rule. They have made their own experience the rule. And reject such and such things as are now professing experience because they never felt them themselves. They reject them based on their own personal experience. You hear what I'm saying to you? They're rejecting what God has done because of their personal experience. They have no scriptural basis to reject it on. He was saying, stop that. Don't do that. Don't allow that. Uh, He says this, People are very ready to be suspicious of what they have not felt themselves. Now, anybody guilty of that? Maybe we should say, who ain't guilty of it? Because I think we're all guilty of that. That's human nature. What I'm saying to you is human nature. We're suspicious of things we haven't felt or experienced ourselves. That's just, that's natural. Okay? Get it. That's natural, but that's not spiritual. And Edwards was saying, in order for to have the revival, you are going to have to reject that kind of thinking. Totally. You're going to have to reject it. Just because you've not experienced it doesn't mean it's not God. That's that basically what I'm saying. So those are some, some, something we need to get in our hearts. That God wants to move in the church. It's going to create a mess. A big mess. It's offensive and it's difficult to deal with. But it's worth it. It's really worth it. All right, here's something else that's really great. Because God's just not just some kind of raging maniac. Although God seems a little crazy to me. Honestly, He really does. I made a terrible mistake the other night at the prayer meeting. <laughs> I forgot I had this microphone in my hand. I said, God's crazy. 
That's what I'm saying. I thought, man, people think I'm all actually really believe that God really is really crazy. Which I sort of think He's crazy. Because it's crazy to me how He does stuff. You know, one thing is crazy that He would use me. You know, I think, that's crazy. Why would you do that, Lord? You know, and He was just uh, doing all this crazy stuff, man. Like, somebody said, you know, I have this difficulty, certain difficulty in my, la- my life, and I would just start laughing about it. You know, like, that's crazy. Why am I laughing at this person? They're telling me some difficulty. You know. <laughs> then I realized the Lord's saying, I'm laughing because I'm going to do something about that. And I'm happy about it. And people laugh when they're happy. <laughs> and I just read the Scripture to you. And God's really got a great sense of humor. He loves to laugh at stuff he's fixing to bust. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, this is a great Scripture, Acts 2, 40 through 43. I'm trying to help you. Believe it or not. You may not feel help this morning, but I am trying to help you deal with what God wants to do and what He's bringing. We ain't got a revival. We're not no revival. God wants to bring a revival. We think it's a little bit messy now. <laughs> Gosh, wait till He really starts you know, going after it. Ooh. And this is what happened. It says, With many other words He testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And we can say today, Lord, save this perverse generation. That's what the Lord's heart's cry is. Save this perverse generation. We have a perverse generation that needs to be saved. And uh, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. So those were the ones that there were obviously some who didn't gladly receive it. And they didn't get baptized. (laughs) Only those who gladly received it were baptized. So I think that may be a secret for you this morning is to gladly receive what God's doing and if you will, you can get immersed in what God's doing. Right? You can just gladly receive it. And here's how you gladly receive it. Well, Lord, this, I don't like this. How do you feel about it? I like it. Oh, okay, I changed my mind. I like it, Lord. I'm gladly receiving it. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Oh, I thought... Oh, I thought Marlon was ugly. Lord... No, Marlon's good looking. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. Marlon's good looking. You know, that's how you just do it. You just repent of what you think. You find out what God thinks on it and you change your mind and, and think what He thinks. So about 3,000 souls were added to them that day. Uh, that could be a great day. It could be a bad day, depending on your perspective. The great day is a lot of people who were going to heaven who were going to hell. The bad day is who was in charge had 3,000 <laughs> had three thousand serious morons to deal with. Like, oh God, these people are bad sinners. And all of a sudden they're in the church. At one time, 3,000. And anyways, but that was a great thing. And, but this is what it says. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. See, the Lord's concerned about doctrine. Believe it or not. When the Lord moves, just because it's wild and messy, but He's still concerned about doctrine. It's important to God what we believe. And we need to have the right doctrine about the Holy Spirit and about God's heart to save people. Uh, and, you know, it's, it is a belt that holds everything together, the doctrine is. It holds all this move of God together. So we, we don't have no put-down of doctrine, period. Because, in fact, Paul told Timothy, follow my doctrine. It was important to Paul. So you need to get right doctrine. Uh, and fellowship. God is concerned about people fellowshipping with one another. That don't seem so wonderfully spiritually, but it is true. Those are things that God really likes. He likes fellowship. 
He likes Christians to hang around with each other. He likes people to come to church and gather together. That's what He likes. Don't believe a lie that tells you anything else. We need it. We need each other badly. You know, and that's part of what fellowship does. In the breaking of bread, which we'll call that communion, not just eating regular food, that's a good thing. And in prayers, and thank the Lord of what the Lord's given Amy this vision. And we, I wasn't here when she shared it earlier, but it is a vision from the Lord. It's a powerful vision, really. I'm happy about it, about the prayer that the Lord wants to raise up in the church. We had a prayer meeting that went on for seven years because there was a grace for it. And then the grace ended, and guess what? The prayer ended. So we went through sort of a drought in our church of prayer, really and truly. We used to get together every Sunday morning, the leaders of the church, and pray. And one day, it's like you couldn't... You had to hold a gun to get them to come pray. <laughs> I don't want to be holding no gun on nobody, Lord, so we ain't praying. <laughs> Somebody's got to, it's got to be in somebody's heart to do that stuff, Lord. It can't be because we're supposed to do it. It's got to come out from inside of you. But when it starts coming out, you let it come out. And that's what God's going to raise that up again in our church. I know He is. He's going to raise up prayer, but it's going to be open heaven prayer. It's going to be prayer that opens heaven and brings the power of God down. And then it says, uh, then fear. See, the Lord wants to release the fear of the Lord in the church. Okay, the fear of the Lord changes things. When fear, when God releases fear of His fear, people get their it gets their attention because you know we haven't we haven't experienced the fear of the Lord in the church. But I believe when we talk about the Lord releasing the fire, we're talking about the fear of God coming. And see, when that happens, things change. Things change, and God really wants to release that. He really does. I'm trying to debate about this one thing to share with you or not, because after I thought about it, I thought, man, that really made me look like a real big sinner. But I have a heart for, for men, okay? I have a heart for men in the church. And this is one of the things I thought the Lord spoke to me about men in the church recently. It's in the whole area, area of lust, okay? That men by nature are more lustful than women. So I've been asking the Lord what to do about the hel- how to help the men with their lust problems, okay? And so I had this experience with the Lord this morning, and this is what happened to me. I saw the Holy Spirit looking at certain parts of my anatomy, okay? He was looking at certain parts of my anatomy. And I want every man in this room to hear what I'm saying to you right now. God's looking at certain parts of your anatomy. And this is what he said to me, Byron. Gird up your loins. Gird up your loins. And you know, in the old days, men wore long robes. And that's where they got that thing from. Gird them up, tie them up in a knot, get them out of the way of your legs so you could run. You know, you you wouldn't stumble. Well, you know where your loins are at, men? Do you know where your loins are at, men? The Lord's saying to you, He wasn't just saying it to me, He was saying to you, gird those loins up because it'll cause you to stumble. It's going to cause you to stumble, and God doesn't want you to stumble in this hour. Uh, what the, the latest great preacher that fell in America? Remember the one who just fell recently? The guy had the big ministry. His, his loins weren't girded up, and he, fell, he, he stumbled and fell over it. So Now, the Lord could say other things to you. See, the Lord looks at our body parts. Believe it or not, the Lord sees you completely naked. 
And that was what was happening to me. He was looking at me naked. He, and he was looking at certain parts of my anatomy and saying, gird them up, Byron. Gird them up. He may look at, you, look at you today and say, gird your tongue up. Gird your tongue up. I don't like what's coming out of your mouth. Or gird your eyes up. I don't like the things you're letting in. in. See, that's a whole other teaching on the Ephesians, the armor of God. Gird your tongue up. Don't be critical. Gird up your ears. Don't listen to things you shouldn't listen to. Gird up your eyes. Have y'all noticed? Has anybody had this experience in here since the Lord started moving about television? Where you start watching it and think, man, I don't want to watch that. Oh, I don't think that's such a good program after all to be watching. Now, you know the Holy Spirit's moving when He tells people to quit watching their favorite television show. In fact, they want to quit watching it. I ain't got time for this. I I think I'll turn it over and listen to some boring preaching. (laughs) I turn it over to preach. I don't like that preaching, Lord, but I'd rather watch that crummy preaching than watch these people doing this crazy stuff. So let the Lord do that to you. Another thing that uh, Jonathan Edwards was big on was the Lord's Supper, communion. He was saying that uh, it was a vital part of the revival. And what a lot of people don't know, the second great awakening that happened in the United States in the 1800s that kept this country together through the Civil War, started in the 1800s, was started, this great awakening was started in a communion service. It started with people gathering together, not to do a bunch of crazy stuff, but to worship the Lord and take, take the cup and take the bread. And the Holy Spirit showed up and fell on these people, and there was another awakening started in our nation. A move of God started. So Edwards was, that was before Edwards' time. Another thing that he was big on was practical holiness. Practical holiness. This is what it said. He, should, he said there should be a proportional care to abound in moral duties, a proportional care to abound in moral duties, such as acts of righteousness, acts of righteousness, truth, meekness, forgiveness, and love towards our neighbors. That's what, that's what Jonathan Edwards said needs to be happening in the church. These things should be happening with the people of God. We should be forgiving each other. We should be humbling ourselves to each other. There should be acts of righteousness in the church. The church should be doing right things. The church should have this morality about them. And, and you see what I'm saying? The Lord wants to move. He creates a mess, but He also creates righteousness. He also creates pure hearts. He also creates good, good deeds. And it's not something we just do. Uh, included in this is giving to the poor. The Lord's concerned about poor people. He wants to do that. I'm telling you stuff that God wants to do that He's been doing, but God wants to raise up more. These are things that God really wants to do, and these are true signs of revival. These are things that the church needs to embrace when God begins to move. Uh, Here's another one for people who have ministry callings on their life. Anybody in here have a calling to do ministry of any type? Raise your hand. Anybody have a calling or any ministry? Raise your hand if you have a calling. Well, let me see who don't. Something's wrong with you. (laughs) But this is what he said. He said, ministers should seek grace, zeal, and courage. Ministers should seek grace, zeal, and courage. And this is what he said about it. I think there is a great deal of reason from this scripture to conclude that no sort of men in the world will be so low in hell as ungodly ministers. In other words, he was saying the ungodly ministers, the basement of hell was reserved for them. Now, I, that was a big problem in that day is they had ministers that weren't even born again. But what God is saying, 
to people is this. God really wants us to understand something. There is a huge responsibility that comes with ministry. A huge responsibility. And we need, a, we need some fear in our lives when it comes to our ministry and our callings. We need to look, you know, when we see somebody has this great ministry that we're lusting after, we don't need to be lusting after it. Because that person's going to stand under great judgment. Under great judgment for what they do, for what they say. And what God wants us to do is realize that there's a responsibility that comes with the calling. A real responsibility. And He wants us to begin to weigh our words and think about what's coming out of our mouth and weigh our actions. This stuff is real with God. He is serious about this. When it says in James where it says ministers are going to, teachers are going to incur a stricter judgment, trust me, we will, instruct, we will incur a stricter judgment. So when we get up and prophesy, we get up and speak, we get up and do whatever we do, we get up and do music, there's judgment awaiting us on this. So therefore, we really need to have the heart of the Lord. That's what he was saying. That's why he said, ministers, you need, to, you need to seek grace. That's the heart of the Lord. It's grace. But you need to zeal about what God's doing, encourage about what God's doing. Because you're going to be tested and you're going to be facing situations. And of all people in the church, when God moves, the people who have the calling should be the most zealous about it. I mean, who needs a church with a bunch of leaders who are not zealous about the move of the Lord? Let's fire and find some zealous people. And that's really what Edwards was saying. We need leaders to rise up when God moves and be leaders. And that's why in a lot of revivals, people who were leaders when God wasn't moving get demoted because they're not zealous for what God's doing. And you find these people who are just like, well, I didn't think they were a very good Christian. And well, all of a sudden, they're the leader. Some quiet person, they're up there because God's using them. All right, here's another one. Let me just tell you this about your pocketbook today. Okay? Wealth and power should be used for religious ends. That was Jonathan Edwards' words. We can take the word religious because we don't like religion, that word, because it has a lot of bad baggage with it, and say for, for kingdom ends. But what you're going to see, let me just warn you, what you're going to see is God is going to go after your purse. And I was saying God was looking at body parts. You know, anybody got a purse in here? Say, I don't carry one. <laughs> you know why I don't carry a purse? Because I don't want Lord mess. I ain't even carrying one. You, you can't even find my purse, Lord. It's a home hid. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Becky can find Oh, heck, she's already found it. I don't need the Lord to find my purse. She's found it. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even carry money. She asked me yesterday, are you going to get Starbucks? Yeah, you got any money? I don't never have no money. And the reason I don't is because she's got it all. <laughs> But this is a purse that she didn't have. God looks at that. What you doing with that purse? What's in that purse? What's in that purse? And he wants what's in that purse. I hate to tell you. <laughs> I do hate to tell you. <laughs> this is what the Lord told me about our church. He said this to me. He said this to me. He said, I'm going to give this church more money than you can imagine. He said, but it ain't for you. It ain't for, and when he said you, he wasn't talking about me. He was talking about for this church. It's not for this church. It's for His kingdom purposes. And what God really wants us to see, that the money we have, really He wants all of it. And then He can say, all right, this is how much you keep and this is how much I keep. You know? <laughs> I'll keep this much, you keep that much. And the parts you get to keep, I'll take care of it for you and take care of you. 
That, I mean, that's really the Lord's heart, and I'm not trying to... We ain't going to take up a second offering over that one. We could take up an offering right now and get you to give your purse away. We're not going to do that. But let me just say this. If we're a kingdom church, God is going to go after your money if you're a kingdom person. And you just had to go ahead and settle it. Uh, you can have it, Lord. I didn't want it anyway. Because you know? <laughs> it takes responsibility off of you. Wealth and power should be used for religious ends. Spiritual ends. So any kind of power you have, any kind of wealth you have, God wants it this morning. Are you willing to give it to Him? Anybody willing to give it to Him, honestly? The Lord wants it. You know? And you know what? If you give it to Him, what you give, it will be multiplied back to you. What you give to God will be multiplied back to you. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive Him in your gifts and callings. You can't outgive Him in money. And the last things I wanted to say is I really appreciate our older people who came in this morning earlier. They came in here, and this was a prophetic sign for us as a church. God was trying to speak to the other older people in this room this morning. Because as they walked in, this is my last point. Older people should forsake unbelief. This is from from Jonathan Edwards. Older people should forsake unbelief. And this is what he said. The majority of those who opposed the revival were among the older people. You hear that? The majority of people who opposed it were among the older people. The state of the present religion of revival of religion, writes Edwards, has an awful aspect upon those that are older in years. An awful aspect. The work has been chiefly amongst those that are young and comparatively but few others have been made partakers of it. In other words, it was just young people in the Great Awakening that was getting touched by the Lord. The old people were rejecting what God was doing. And so today, in our church, we don't have a lot of old people. But Jim's old. <laughs> we've heard that... We've heard Bob Jones saying for a couple years now, very concerned about the 40, late 40s and 50-year-old people. Because they really are not embracing what God's doing. And so what we need to say to the old people is you need to forsake unbelief. You need to get that spirit of criticism, spirit of reserve off in you, and jump into what God's doing. And let me say this. You may be too old to jump around. Your bones... I'm serious. God makes an allowance for a person where they're at. Because what happens needs to happen inside of you, not outside of you. If it happens inside of you, what comes out of you will be good. But this, this is one thing I do know this. This is what the Lord, this is what I was thinking recently. I'm 52 years old, okay? Now, for you, that's probably young. For me, I think, man, I'm getting 52. I mean, I'm over halfway in my life. I don't think I'm going to get 52 more years, even if the Lord doesn't return. So I was thinking, Lord, if you don't return, I figure I can do ministry for 28 more years. That puts me at 80. That's what I was asking, Lord. Give me 28 years, Lord, If you, 28 years where my body holds up and my mind holds up, where I can do everything that you've called me to do in the next 28 years. I can pour my life out for 28 more years. Totally, 100%. And if I get to do it for, you know, five years longer than that, you know, for, for 30, 33 years, that'll be bread and butter. I mean, that'll be, you know, icing gravy. on the cake. Yeah, gravy. But see... Arthur Burton, yeah. I'm not asking for Arthur's, but I'll take Arthur's. <laughs> but I'm just saying, listen to this. 28 years is not a long time. 
28 years is not a long time. 28 years is not a long time. It's a short amount of time. We don't have a lot of time on this earth, guys. And, and we need to allow the Holy Spirit to move now in your life so you can spend the next... If you're, 20, if you're 30 years old now, you can say, Lord, I, hey, i got 50-something years to serve the Lord. I bet you older people today, I don't know how much time you got left on this earth, but you can, you can take whatever time you got and serve the Lord fully. You probably already are. Because probably they would have left offended <laughs> if they won. Like, who wants to be in this mess? But those are some practical things for church that we need to do to, to uh, allow the revival to come.